0: Take your Bibles out, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are in our series, uh, Unless the Lord Builds the House, building a home, building a family of faith and what that looks like. And uh, today we're going to look through the kitchen and we're going to see that's where it all starts and begins uh, in the kitchen. No room feels more important than the kitchen, right? Guys, you say amen. All the guys love the kitchen. You make more trips in and out of there than any other time. And you're, and you're building a new home. If you're building a home, they say, put your money in the kitchen. That's what sells the house. And so you got a lot of counter space and you got a lot of fancy appliances and you got a, lot, a real nice stove there with the, the multiple burners and the ovens and all that stuff, even though often they never use it, but it's all there and it's ready for the ladies to cook at any time. And we all love that home cooked meal, especially at Thanksgiving time, right? love the smell of turkey, you love the smell of the food and all that's going on and all that's taking place in there. There's nothing that can replace a home-cooked meal. Now, now here's the problem. America has kind of been weaned on fast food. And so it's run through Taco Bell, it's run through McDonald's, it's grab a quick meal, it's hurry and, and our fast-paced life, and so it's all about fast-cooked. We want it instantly, we want it right now. It's a whole lot cheaper anymore, and, and it's a whole lot more time-consuming, and so we get hooked on fast food. The only problem is it's not really the healthiest thing for you, Right? And you eat McDonald's the rest of your life and and you'll soon look like I look and, and you'll put on a lot of weight and it'll be struggle and you'll be challenged every step of the way. Home-cooked meals take longer, right? More work, more ingredients have to go into it. You have gotta buy all the ingredients and they are usually healthier. Not all the time, but they are usually healthier. Now this morning I wanna talk about, talk about some home-cooking. And and I want to talk about what ingredients go into a home that make that home a home of faith. There are certain ingredients that we have to build upon in the Word of God that will make our homes and make our families a place of faith. And the Bible says, listen to me, in Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Let me say that again. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders Labor in in vain. So how do we go about then building a home of faith? And I think it's similar to how we prepare our meals. You have a choice. You can either depend on fast food, carry out, which may not be as healthy, and you can try to get your fast food discipleship in the church. And so what I'll do is I'll bring my kids to church on Sunday morning, and you do all the discipleship, and you do all the training, and you do all the teaching, and we've left out good old-fashioned home cooking. The Bible said, moms and dads, you're to teach your children about the Lord. You're to teach your children to walk in the way of the Lord. You're to build that foundation of faith in your own house. And if you depend only on the church, you're depending on fast food cooking to get their nourishment. Right? See where I'm going with this? That's not the way God designed the families. He designed the home. He designed the family, the home cooking, to be the primary environment for discipling our children, discipling our families, and watching them grow in the Lord Jesus Christ into a healthy, vibrant family of faith. So let's stand together. I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter six this morning, Deuteronomy six, and we'll begin with verse number one, and then we're gonna talk about how practically you go about building a home of faith. These are the... Commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy a long life. And so, right away, Moses is telling the children of Israel, God is telling Moses, that do it in the home, so that God can bless their homes, so you'll enjoy a long life, so you can build the right kind of family and faith. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God your fathers has promised you. And here's what you're to teach them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today will be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Families, fathers, mothers, teach your children. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. You are so awesome, and we're thankful that we can come together to worship you, and we thank you for the sweet presence here today, Lord, that you're in our midst, and we've come to worship you, and we thank you for your presence. And I pray now, God, that your same presence that was with us when we took the elements in our hands will also help me to minister the word of God today. I pray that you'll open up our hearts. I pray, God, you'll begin to develop uh, families of faith all throughout this congregation. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome, and then you may be seated. Israel's preparing to go into the promised land. Now remember the first time they got there, they messed up. And uh, they had to travel another 40 years, uh, 38 years in the wilderness. It took about two years to get there. And then because of disobedience and rebellion, they weren't allowed to go in. And so God's gonna raise up an entire new generation. And Deuteronomy's called the second law, literally means the second law. And so Moses, once again, is repeating the law before they go into the promised land. Uh, he's uh, challenging families, every family in the nation of Israel. He's saying, you need to build in your family in your home, a family of faith. Now we're talking in this entire series for these next six weeks about how we are gonna build families of faith, what that looks like and how God needs to move in our marriages, in our children, in our family units and how that looks and how that works. He wanted Israel to understand the importance of getting ingraining and getting God's word deep in the heart of every one of their children. And so he says, teach your children. Teach it when they lay down. Teach it when they stand up. Teach it when they walk. Teach it in whatever they do. You need to always be putting the word of God in their hearts so it will never ever leave them. And and the reality is if you don't do that, the world will fill their mind with all the thoughts and patterns of this world. And so it's incumbent upon us as moms and dads, as parents, as grandparents, to teach our children and our grandchildren in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three things I wanna give you this morning. It's gonna be very simple, but very, very practical, and I want you to get this down. First of all, number one, you need to commit to do this as a family. Commit to do this as a family. Look at verses five and six again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today, they should be upon your heart. You need to make a heart commitment to love God above everything else in your house. And commit to that. God, I give you my all. Everything I give to you, I give my kids, we're all yours, we're all in this together, and so we commit to this building a family of faith starts by your committing to him now if you don't know the lord jesus christ you need to go back to square one and say god i need you come in and save me come into my life i want to build my life around yours you're to be the lord and head of my life you're the lord and head of my family and so you've got to start very right off the gate out of the gate with that very first building block committing to the lord jesus christ now here's the reality We talk a lot about commitment. I use that word all the time. I'm pushing and committing and dedication, and we use those big words. But the reality is a lot of things begin to creep into the home very gradually that begin to choke out our commitment to the Lord. We just get very, very busy, and so often God gets put on the back burner. And it it happened in Israel And that's why Moses says, think about him in the morning when you get up. Think about him when you walk throughout the day. Think about him at night when you lay down. Think about him when you sit down. Teach the word of God. Get that in their heart every waking moment of the day. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our commitment is to be a lifestyle that says all of my priorities rotate around the Lord Jesus Christ. He's at the center of my life, not me. You could have a me-centered philosophy where God is there to meet all my needs and whims, or or you can have a Christ-centered, God-centered philosophy where I am there to serve and minister unto him and minister to one another. My life revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. And I commit to that, and I put him first in every single priority of my life. When I married Jeannie, and uh, many of you are married here today, you made vows, Right? You made a commitment. You you gave your vows. She said some vows. I said some vows. You did that kind of thing. But the vows you made when you committed to be man and wife were made then, but you will spend the rest of your life living out the implications of what those vows look like. Not one moment I make a vow, and then I go out and I trash my wife, and I ignore her, and I don't love her, and I don't treat her with respect. Uh, It's not like I say all the right things to get her to marry me, and then I treat her any way I want to. I spend the rest of my life living out what the implications of those vows mean. And so what I do is I commit to her. And so I include her in my plans. And we jointly work out these things together. And when she's sick, remember we said in sickness and health, I take care of her. And and when she's doing great, I I applaud her and I celebrate with her. And when she's down, I encourage her and I lift her up. and, And we do life together. That's what a marriage is supposed to look like. You do life together because I made a commitment. I made a commitment. And if someone else comes walking down the street, I look the other way. Why? Because I made a commitment to my wife. I made a commitment to spend time with her, to invest my life in her, to spend our life together, to do all those vows and to fulfill them. It's the same thing when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ that is just the beginning of your spiritual journey. And so you make a commitment to put him first in every single area of your life. And you don't say, Jesus, come into my heart and life and then go out and do just what you want to do. Now he's your Lord, he's your Savior, and you revolve around him. You understand what I'm saying here? It all starts with that commitment. Our commitment to God is even greater than the commitment we need to have to our own spouse. Because what does he say? This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is love your neighbor, love your wife, love the person around you as yourself. So that should be families. Our very greatest commitment we make is families. It doesn't stop at the altar, but I live my life around loving the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I order my family around that. That becomes our center. I commit to that. So let me ask you some questions. Do you make attending church a priority of your week? Is it a very, very important in every week that you have? Or is it, you know what, which feel like today? I need a break. I'm just so worn out. I'll go next week. And then something else comes up and I'll go next week. Is our family prioritized around God and the principles of his word and the word of God? Does our entertainment choices reflect our love for him? I don't know. Ask yourself what's coming on the television. Ask yourself what movies you're going to see. Ask yourself those questions. Do we talk about the Lord together? Is he in our conversation? Is he so important in our family that we're gonna talk about Jesus and we're gonna talk about God? Do we spend time praying together as a family? Boy, it's just quiet in here. I, just, I feel like I'm all alone in this room. <laughs> Help me, somebody. You know, we talk about committing to Christ and then we check out on Sunday morning and we don't check back in until the next Sunday. How can you build a family of faith on fast food mentality? Carry out, come in, come go out. It's not a healthy biblical lifestyle. You need some home cooking. Faith needs to be cooked and brewed at home. I, uh, when I was, uh, my kids were growing up, and, and, and I'm going to be really trans- honest with you today. I didn't do this every day. I tried, I know I prayed with my kids every single night. We tried to have family devotions. I was a minister. And so starting out in a small church, we've had to visit every family in the church. I would go to their homes at night. I had some every night of the week. And often my wife, and she filled in the gap, and she was incredible. And so she would fill in the gap and take our kids and train them and teach them a word. But when I was at home, and I could be there with the family, I'd get the family around, and what we would do is reread a passage of Scripture, and I let the kids talk about it. And when they were younger, it was usually out of a story Bible. As they got older, I read from the, our from translations, the, from the our, our translations. And uh, I read from the Bible and we'd talk about it and then we'd get on our knees and pray. And the kids would line up across the couch and, uh, and, and on their knees and I would go and pray for each one and that was kind of our devotion time. Didn't take long, not all night, but that was kind of one of the first things we did after our meal. And I remember one, one night, just to show you the faith of kids, uh, my, the kids are praying and so they, uh, they prayed out. And I said, okay, Linda, you pray now. And she prays, dear Lord, I really want a dog I want a white dog. Because we taught our kids to pray specific, to be specific when you pray. I really want a white dog, a small dog with a lot of curly hair. And when it barks, I want it to go yip, yip. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, oh my you, what am I gonna do now? You know, I don't want a dog daddy's not going to get a dog daddy has no time in his lifestyle for uh, three kids is a challenge enough he had no time in his life for a dog to take care of and maintain and do whatever and so uh that was not on my radar and I was never I would never ever get a dog and I you know you, you do that you say Linda you know sometimes God doesn't always answer like we like him to and, <laughs> You know, you try to be compassionate and gentle, and uh, sometimes he doesn't always, you know, just do things like we want him to do. And sometimes he wants to teach us lessons. And I, she was looking at me like yeah, I, I prayed, and I, and so we just kind of left it at that. And I thought, hopefully, she'll forget. That week, there was a knock on the door, and the neighbor had found a dog. And said, "We we are looking for a home for this dog. We've checked everywhere. We can't find it, and for some reason." We didn't know, we don't know why, but we stopped at your door and we felt like you needed this dog. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about the dog. Well, he's a little white furry dog. He's a mutt. I don't know what he looks like. And then she makes this statement. He has the cutest bark. He goes, yip, yip. Now, is, and, I, and I, I'm so, I'm, 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 I'm excited on one hand and I'm mad on the other hand. And I'm saying, I don't want a dog. But who was I to argue with God? And so God overrode, and so we had that dog around the house for a while. And so, uh, are you are you teaching your kids? Are you discipling your children? Now we did a survey, and I want to. And now this is a real time survey. This is not something I read from Gallup polls or whatever. This is a survey we did at Faith Assembly of God. And what we did is, we had all the parents who would who would go online, and we two or three weeks we talked about doing that, and many of you did that, and many of you forgot, but, but many of you went online and did that, and so we've got a we got a little census. We're building a family ministry here at Faith, and we wanted to know, you know, what what direction to take, and so uh, and we were checking the discipleship pulse in our homes, and so we wanted to know: was building a family of faith important to you guys? And without question, everybody said yes. Building a family of faith is extremely important to our home and to our family. And so you understood the importance of that. But only a small percentage, because these were anonymous surveys, ever took time to pray and read the word together. A small percentage. And the response came back is life's too crazy, don't have time, schedules are too busy, and I know that, I understand that, and yet we've gotta be careful that, that everything going on in the world doesn't squeeze out God. And Moses says, Israelites, get this, Teach them when they get up. Teach them when they go to bed. Teach them when they walk. Look for those teachable moments throughout the way, out the day, to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we discovered was many families were outsourcing the discipleship and spiritual growth to the church. And so if I brought my family to church, if they heard it there, that alleviated me of my responsibility. And so you were outsourcing this a very, very important role of discipleship in your own homes. You're settling for fast food carry-out, and the family will suffer nutritionally in the long run. That kind of discipleship is not healthy. It is not sustainable. Now, Let's do the math just real quick, just kind of a wake-up call. You're gonna be at church one and a half hours a week. Bam, that's it. You're going to be, you may come or may not come on Wednesday night to either Royal, uh, Royal Rangers, Impact Girls, possibly youth ministries, you'll bring them to youth service, and so you may do that, or you may have children's meeting in your own home group, and many groups have their own kids' meetings going on there because they live too far out, can't make it into church, so they do a structured and teaching for the children, and that's cool too. And so, so if you do that... I don't know what percentage are in groups or in homes, but if you do that, there's another hour and a half I will, might tack on during the course of a week. Now, the average family, and this is this is, it won't shock you guys because you're who I'm talking to, attend church twice a month here at Faith Assembly of God, and so you do the math, you roll that out three hours a week, twice a month. Your kids will get discipleship instruction. And by the way, I, we got an awesome kids ministry, awesome youth ministry, and it will be good discipleship stuff. But they will get that an average of six hours a month. There are 730 hours in a typical month. That means less than 1% of your kids' biblical training, faith-building, life-application, Bible ministry, loving Jesus stuff, six hours a month if you're not doing it at home. And what we discovered through our survey is the typical family is not doing it in their own house. Just think about that for a minute. You can't have a healthy, sustainable sustainable spiritual life on six hours of church discipleship. There's got to be some home cooking. Commit to building a home of faith that will be spiritually healthy and spiritually vibrant. You know, what we're finding today in America, and, and, and here again, I'm, if there is some guilt, maybe that's the Holy Spirit, but I'm not trying to dump guilt on you because I know, I know there are challenges. But homes can be so focused on sports programs, music programs, academics, job programs, searches, all these kind of things. They neglect the spiritual health of their family. Now let me read a verse to you. Matthew 16, just think about it. Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What good is it, let me translate it to today's language and vernacular. What good is it to gain the scholarships to get the promotion, to compete in the dance recitals if our kids lose their souls. All those things are great. I wanted my kids to do well in school. I made them do their homework. We checked on what they were doing. I wanted them to do well. That's a good value to teach our children. Nothing wrong with that. they, They were involved in all the sports, although, like I said before, they weren't very good went to their games when I could. I, I wanted them, to, you, you want your kids, if your kids can get an athletic scholarship or, a, or an academic scholarship, that's even better. It saves you a bunch of money down the road. That's, that's really awesome. And all that stuff's great. But the danger is we get so sucked into chasing the American dream, you can, your kids can lose eternity. Commit to family devotions. Commit to praying for your kids. Keep them planted in church. Do ministry together as a family. Look at opportunities where your family can go and minister to somebody else in need and take your kids with you and teach them the values of serving. Teach faith to the next generation. Numero, numero dos. It leads me right into it. He says we've got to teach our kids. We've got to teach them. have got to teach them. And so let's go to verse number seven. He says it there, impress them upon your children. Talk to them when they sit at home, when they walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Now, now, what, what, what are we talking about teaching our kids? And this is all age-specific, depending on the age of your children. But what, what are we teaching our kids? Well, you don't have to have a three-port three-point homiletical sermon i spend about 20 hours on these messages to give or take a week and so you don't have 20 hours to spend on a sermon I'll, I'll take care of the heavy lifting but but you guys can spend can have there are teachable moments all throughout the day and the idea you get from this is just when you're walking down the road when you're in their daily activities talk about jesus Look for times to talk about it. When they get up in the morning, start your conversation. Talk, have a word of prayer with them in the morning and talk about their day's activities and how the Lord is integrated in that. When they lie down at night, you go into their bedroom and you kneel beside their bed and you pray with them in the evening and talk to them at night. Just find those teachable moments throughout the day. Some of you, how many men like to hunt and fish around here? Let me illustrate it for you, just a few. I thought we'd have more in here than that. But anyway, some of you guys like to hunt and fish or you like the outdoors, you like to go camping or you like to go hiking or whatever it might be. When you're hiking, he says when you walk, When you're with your kids and walking throughout the day, talk about nature and say, you know what? Aren't these trees awesome? Isn't that mountain awesome? Isn't that stream beautiful? Isn't God so good? You know God made every bit of this, Johnny. Johnny, do you realize God made everything in this world, everything you see, every bird chirping, every fish in the sea, God made every bit of that and God made you and me. And you know what, Johnny, man did something. Man came into the garden and sinned. And as a result, the Bible said he brought a curse on this earth. But you know what? The whole earth is groaning and waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. You see, when sin comes in, sin messes everything up. It messes up our lives. It messes up our families. And sin creates havoc. But you know what? Jesus died to take those sins away. And he can take our sins away and and restore what the enemy tried to mess up. And you know what? One day that real good God, that real good Jesus is. coming coming back and he's going to take us to a brand new place and you think this earth is awesome you think these trees are beautiful you think the sky's beautiful he's making a place that is so so incredible and it's for you and me and just simple teachable moments look for those times when you talk about the Lord when you walk when you get up when you lay down it's not rocket science Sometimes men are intimidated about opening the Bible and reading and sharing a story or doing something because they feel like, well, first of all, my life's not where it should be. Listen, none of us are where we should be. None of us are where we should be. It doesn't abdicate our responsibility as dads not to do it. We all got a long way to go. So you don't just skip your responsibility. And you teach them and you look for those teachable moments throughout the day. Every day in life presents teachable moments. Times at the dinner table when you're talking with the family and, and some, of my, my, some of my staff, young staff, told me, "Ma'am, we, we don't even hardly eat together. We're running and going. And that's, I think that's a little bit of a problem in America today. But when you can eat together and spend time together at that dinner table or before they go to bed, talk about a Bible story or scripture. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, if you don't teach them about God, the wrong teachings will come in and begin to fill their brains. I, uh, Moses gave this in Deuteronomy, uh, and so we, he wrote the Pentateuch. The first five books in the Old Testament were written by Moses. And Moses writes these for us and he he records his conversations with God and and that's what we have right here in Deuteronomy. He wrote it right before they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Now now I want you to follow me for just a second. Moses dies in his entire generation. All he has from his own generation are Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua and Caleb are from the generation of Moses. They will all die off, not making it into the promised land. Only because of their faith will Joshua and Caleb make it and a whole new generation that God raises up, okay? You understand that? So they're going to go into the promised land. Now, after Joshua goes in and takes the promised land, it is followed by the period of the Judges. So you have Deuteronomy and then you have Joshua. Joshua is about taking the land, possessing the land, spiritual victory, and Joshua was the understudy to Moses. And he's the conqueror and they conquer all the regions and yet the Bible would say they still left the enemies in the land that they might learn how to do war. So when there are enemies out there, it's not because God's out to get you, it's so we can learn how to do spiritual warfare. Understand that principle? It's all about spiritual warfare taken to the enemy. Now, following the book of Joshua, Judges comes along. Judges is probably written far after the period of the Judges. And yet they're recounting the history of the early judges and the early establishment of Israel in the promised land. And and they were always going through these cycles in the book of Judging. And the theme of Judges was every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's kind of one of the key verses. It's it's crazy. It's like the wild, wild west. They're shooting each other, killing each other, uh, sex with everybody. They're, they're, They're going back to idolatry. They have slid in two generations, follow me, from Moses. Moses gives us this, teach your children, teach your children, teach your children. Two generations later, they've lost it. Here's the sin cycle. They would, Israel would go into sin. They would return to idolatry. All the nations would tempt them. They would be sucked into that. They would be followed by oppression. <clears throat> by the way... Sin has consequences, and so God would pull His hand off, and the other nations around them would suppress the nation of Israel, and, and they would in captivity and in bondage. And then when they get in bondage, and the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Philistines are ruling over them, they, oh God, help me now! Yep. Right? Is that what we do? We're stupid and we do dumb stuff and we sin and and then we get in messes and then we say, Oh God, help me now. And then God is faithful. God is so good. God is so faithful. He would send another judge. And you have about seven different judges recorded their stories in the book of Judges. He would send another judge. They'd go back and whip the enemy and, and for a while they'd have some freedom in the land and then they'd sin all over again. That was the cycle. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Now, I want you to go to Judges 2 and verse 10. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. Judges 2 and 10. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, this is early in the book of Judges, and he's summarizing what had happened. How did they get in the state they were in? He tells you right there, a whole generation grew up and they did not know about the miracle working power of God. Two generations removed from the parting of the Red Sea. God sends plagues on Egypt and, 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 he, and Israel. He delivers them with his mighty hand. He opens up the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. They didn't know that stuff. Joshua takes them across the Jordan River. He opens up the Jordan River. They walk across on dry ground. What do they do? They march around the city of Jericho seven times and the walls come crashing down into the ground. What did it just say in Judges 2? Read it again. After that whole generation had been gathered to the ancestors, they're gone now. Joshua's generation is gone. Moses' generation is gone. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord or what he had done for Israel. The grandchildren of those who saw the plague and crossed the Jordan River, the children of those who walked across the Jordan River and saw the walls of Jericho come falling down didn't know the miracle-working power of God. Why? Listen to me. Because the families didn't do what Moses told them to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The families didn't teach their kids because the kids didn't get it. They failed to build homes of faith. That generation did not understand their identity in God. And in, in God. They didn't know who they were in God. They, they didn't know about that. And so they they come to this crazy period in Israel's history where everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. The all moral lines are blurred. There is no word to guide them in the land and they grow up in a chaotic world with rampant violence and immorality. Now I wanna tell you, does that sound like America today? Dude, it's America, right here, it's America. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. We can't point to Washington, D.C. We can't point to any leader. We can't point to anybody else. Where do we look? In the families. It's got to be done in the families. In the home. How's it done? Men and women of faith teach their kids how to be mighty warriors for God. Where are they going to get it? You can't depend on six hours a month in faith assembly of God. We'll help you, we'll do what you can, but we're not your surrogate. They're your kids. Boy. This is good preaching whether you like it or not. Part of the reason America is so messed up today is somewhere along the line, families stop teaching their children. Parents quit modeling how to have a godly marriage. Fathers abandoned their homes, walked out on their wives. And so now what is it? Over 50%, 60% now are being born in single family homes. Each generation moves farther and farther away from God. You've got to teach your children not only the word, but also in your actions. Teach them, teach them, teach them. Numero tres. And that leads me to my next point. Families need to remember. They need to remember. And, and so he gives them memory tools in verses 8 and 9. And he talks to how Israel can remember about God and about his law. So 8 and 9 says this. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates give them memory tools so they will remember God is central and his law is central to everything we do in the life of Israel, okay? Teach them and remind them along the way. You know, it, it was, Israel is God, when he's leading Israel, it's really cool the way he does this. He says all along the way they would create memory stones so they wouldn't forget God. So remember when they crossed the Jordan River? And the priests go down and they put their foot in the Jordan River and the water opens up. What did he tell the Israelites to do? He tells the priest, one from every tribe or the leaders of the tribes, one from each tribe, go get a stone out of the Jordan River, carry it to the bank at Gilgal, erect those stones Put them up, why? So that every time you pass by those stones, you will remember this is where God opened up the water. This is where God showed his might and his power and authority, okay? Memory, reminders, memory stones along the way and they would do that and, and they, would, they were teaching points for the kids. This is, man, God was powerful. God was awesome. You should have seen what happened next and it kind of opened up a platform for the families. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter four. Oh, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. It just take too long. They crossed the Jordan. They, they already said that. At Gilgal, they set up their stones. And he says in verse 21 of Joshua four, when they say, what meaneth these stones? Verse 22 says, let the children know Israel crossed on dry ground, just as they did on the Red Sea. And so what they're doing is he's creating a way to pass down faith from generation to, to generation to generation. Okay, you following me here? Build the stones, the kids got to know. Your grandkids got to know. Leave some stones, give some memory tools because the kids have got to know what God did. Now, I want to tell you a story. It's in Judges chapter 3. Remember the crazy cycle, the crazy period I told you about, Judges 3. Israel is now oppressed by the Moabites. They've been ruling over Israel now for 18 years because what they went through that crazy sin cycle. They would sin, and they would, uh, a nation would come in and oppress them. So they're in cycle two, and there's a nation oppressing Israel uh, in, in the promised land. They're called the Moabites. And so Eglon, excuse me, Ehud is a Israelite. The Bible says he's a Benjamite. Now that's kind of a dig because this is written later. It's written during the time of the king's. And the kings liked Judah, they didn't like Benjamin because Saul was a Benjamite, David was of the tribe of Judah and so the writer of the Judges is kind of hard on the Benjamites and you'll see it, they blew it many times throughout the book of Judges big way and so they didn't like Benjamites, they didn't like left-handers and so the writer says he was left-handed. How many left-handers are out here? You were considered less than in this time, and so I'm sorry about that. We love you today. We love you at faith. But uh, they said he was a left-hander, and he was of the tribe of Benjamin, which is kind of a slur on Ehud. And Ehud uh, and goes in, and he brings tribute, because if you have a nation over you, you've got to bring all your money and give it to that nation that's ruling over you. And they have brought tribute to Eglon, who is a big, fat king. Now, you're going to hear how fat he is in just a moment. He's fat. He's really fat. And so they bring tribute, and the Bible says he leaves. And I I, I found something in here as I was getting ready for this. He leaves, and in verse 19, he passes the stones at Gilgal. And some translations say idols. That is not the correct translations. These weren't stones from other nations. These were the stones that were brought and carried up out of the Jordan River. And so he's at Gilgal, and the stones are still there. They remember, and all of a sudden it dawns on him. This is where God opened up the Jordan River. This is where we saw His power and might. And so he turns around and goes back, and he goes back into the king's palace. He says, "I got a secret to tell you." The king sends out the guys out of the room. He has a foot and a half sword strapped to his side, and it's over here. And he takes his—he leans him close, takes his left hand, pulls out this little foot and a half sword, and the Bible says he plunges it into Eglon's stomach. The dude is so fat that the fat surrounded the sword, so it was buried inside of him. So he's got to be at least a foot and a half thick for that thing to be hidden inside of him. He escapes, jumps out the window, goes out the back, flees for his life, leaves the door locked. The guys are outside, and after a while, they get embarrassed. They think he's going to the bathroom. Let's take our time. Let's not go in here right away, and, and he must be doing something, they thought. And finally, they realize that uh, it's been too long. They open the door and find their king dead on the floor. Israel takes courage from that, and they rout the Moabites, and they are overthrown in the land. Uh, Judges is such a cool book. Uh, I gotta preach that sometime. We're gonna preach through Judges. It's awesome, awesome story. Samson and Ehud and, and Ethanel and Deborah and all these incredible Judges. And so, so it goes right into him and he dies. What was the point? The point of this is they saw the stones. When he remembered the stones, he took courage and he went back and he killed the king. Listen, if we don't leave memory stones for the next generation... They won't know about the power of God and they won't know how to do spiritual warfare. The stones reminded him that God is powerful, more powerful than anything your kids will face in school, in their neighborhoods, in their subdivisions, in their peer groups. God is powerful, he is more powerful. He's the God who opened up the Jordan River. Listen, what kind of stones are we leaving for the next generation? Now I'm going to tell you what those stones need to be. Moses said, "Take it," and they would have phylacteries. They tie it on their wrists, little boxes. And if you've been in Israel, you'll see them wearing these little uh, things around their wrist, uh, and, and this was their reminder. And they would have these things, bands, and they would put, literally, put little boxes on their forehead, and uh, probably contained in that, or "I love the Lord your God," and that that expression is written, it rolled up in there on tiny scrolls, and they would wear them wherever they go. How do we erect stones today? I want you to turn, I'm glad you asked. I want you to go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. How do we build these memorials for our kids so we can pass on faith from generation to generation to generation? Jeremiah is in a time of captivity. And so Israel's been taken in captivity by the Babylonians and we read in verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it in their heart. I will be their God, and they will be my People, Now listen to me, we don't put the law in little boxes on my wrist and on my forehead anymore. Why? Because Jeremiah says there's a time coming. There's a time coming. I wanna make a brand new covenant with the house of Israel. And I'll put my law in where? In their minds and in their hearts. I wanna propose something to you. What are the stones we leave today? It is your life, your witness, your testimony. Peter writes, we are living stones uh, that make up the household of God. Listen, if you are leading a godly life in front of your kids, if you're loving your wife like you ought to love your wife, uh, if you are praying with your family at night, you don't have to erect little statues in your backyard of Jesus, Uh, they see them in you. These are the stones. I leave behind, it's my lifestyle, it's my life. The apostle Paul said, we are epistles read of all men. When your kids read your life, what are they reading? What book do they see? Do they see Christ, Christ follower? This is what a Christ follower looks like, this is what a godly dad looks like, this is what a godly mom looks like, Uh, they're reading it in you. That's how you pass on that legacy of faith. You teach your children about God with your mouth and your prayers and your Bible stories, and then you leave these stones of remembrance by how you lead your life. What are you leaving? What are you leaving? Our families must build homes of faith. We're going to talk about communication in marriage. We're going to talk about intimacy in the weeks to come. We're going to talk about all aspects of the family. We will conclude on Father's Day. But it all starts right here with faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're not doing some home cooking, they're not going to get enough. This world's too messed up. There are too many other influences out there vying for our kids' attention. They've got to see it in your home. Hmm unless the lord builds the house unless the lord builds your house labors labor in the vain it starts with a commitment is christ first in your family number 1 number 2 i'm going to follow that up with teaching my kids and my family, and the next generation about the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, I'm going to live the life of a Christ follower in front of them. So there's no question, no doubt, no ambiguity. No, he read this story to us, but he's lying over here, and he's cheating over here, and he's doing something over there. Nah, nah, nah. it's not going to cut it. You can't rely solely on the church for their spiritual food. The church is vital. The church is so important. I talked about being planted last week, being planted in a local body of believers. But we can only supplement what you are doing at home. Can't fast food discipleship. It can't be carried out. Put your effort into a slow-cooked, home-cooking nourishment that will build a lasting, sustainable, healthy, spiritual environment For your family, amen? Amen. I want you to take your bulletins out. Inside of there, you've got this located inside of your bulletin. We met with our staff and brainstormed. Pastor Jonathan, Jonathan's our family life pastor. Jonathan Lee, stand up. He's over all youth and children and everything else. Does a jam up job. And we got together and we talked, especially Jonathan and Jonathan Seabird, and they talked about, we've, "We, I can preach till I'm blue in the face, and I do it every week. And sometimes you leave just feeling beat up. I know, I get beat up too. I beat myself up. I was like, I'm, I feel like I'm hitting myself and hit my back. I'm up here and I'm saying it, but I am preaching to myself too. Sometimes we leave beat up." I didn't preach this sermon to beat anybody up. I want to encourage you that we can make a commitment today. Past is past. If done, it's gone. Maybe you haven't quite been up to speed and haven't been the spiritual man you ought to be. Maybe I've been the spiritual mother you ought to be. Maybe we've dropped the ball along the way and it happens. And, and I'm, God's a God of grace. And so I just say, hey, Jesus, I'm not doing so hot. Help me and forgive me. And He does, He just does. I didn't want to bring guilt and condemnation and heaviness on anybody in here because I love you guys. But I want to help you. I care about you. I want to help you have strong, healthy families. I don't want us to lose the next generation. I'm passionate about reaching the next generation. That's why we put the bulk of our money in the church and our ministries. We put it in children's ministry and youth ministries. Most of the money ministry-wise, goes into those two ministries because our families, our kids, are so important. The majority of people who give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, probably 80-some percent, I we can give you those percentages, I don't have it off the top of my head, over 80% will accept Christ before they're 18 years of age. 18 years of age. And if we don't reach them, we're gonna lose them. And so I can preach and we can talk about it and then we just leave and say, oh, that wasn't too bad we'd give him a b today or a c or somebody would give me an a and that's cool i like that but whatever and then we just things don't change so i said how can we get practical how can we put tools in their hands to help families get started and so what we've done is we just got faith talks i put five of them in there i think that ought to be the goal you should be able you have five days monday through friday and uh And find five times this week. Take one a day. For some of you, most of you can be right at supper time. We'll call them supper talks. And if your family still eats together and you get your family around and you have a meal together, maybe before you eat, before you dig in, and before you pray, take your first faith talk. Talk about Monday, talk about day number one. Day number one says, Why do we love God? Very general. Generic for any age. Good to talk about. Read John 3, 16. And then then talk to your kids about that. And there's even a prayer in here. We got guys, you say, I don't know how to pray out loud. We put it in here for you. Read the prayer. Get your glasses. It's not rocket science. Read the prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Help us to have grateful hearts, to love you and never forget the sacrifice you made for us. We love you, God. Amen. Done. Done. And, and, and listen, if you get, don't hit all five days, don't get, don't let that, if you get to do three days and you haven't been doing anything, you've, you've improved, right? You've stepped up. You've stepped up your game. If you can't do it at supper time because the kids are running all over the place and you're, do it at night. Turn off the television set. It's not gonna kill your family. Turn off the TV set. Get the Bible out. And Pray. Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Moses said, when you get up, when you walk throughout the day, when you lay down at night. You understand kind of where we're going with this? I want it to be practical. I wanted to see it happen in our homes. I want to see that percentage. If we do a survey next year, that the percentages are, yes, we're praying. Yes, we're reading our Bible together. Yes, we're talking about Jesus. I'd like to see that number go up. Let's stand together. Everybody stand. I want you to make, if you can commit to do this, just say, God, help me to do this this week. Help me to follow through on this. Say, God, I want, I want to do better. I need your help. End of prayer. I want to pray for you. Love you guys. Father, you are so cool. You're so awesome, so incredible. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.